On the third Thursday of every month, pastors and church leaders from near and far gather together for a time of friendship, gospel encouragement, and ministry insights in the warehouse at the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. The following is from one such third Thursday gathering. Our speaker today, because he's one of my colleagues, he works with me in Hendersonville at Christ has Love Church. So Jacob Bell is really a remarkable leader. He's a native of Middle Tennessee, so he knows our area well and had his education at Trevecca University, did some master's work at Southern Seminary before he went back to Trevecca and finished his, his degree, his master's degree there. But he is just a, a great uh, thinker. I mean, any subject you bring up, you can talk to Jacob about and, and he'll give you insight. He's a great scholar. Um, he's a great pastor. He has a pastor's heart, and that's just obvious if anyone knows him. And so uh, since he came to our church two years ago, our church has improved so much. Like he has brought so many great things to our church, and it's just been such a blessing to our church. So our church loves him. They absolutely love Jacob, and you guys will love him too. I have a deep respect for him, and I'm looking forward to receiving from him. Guys, would you please welcome my friend Jacob Bell. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, one of the fun things uh, about the Axis here, the first time I came to a third Thursday, uh, I saw Pastor Jeremy wearing a Titans polo, and I was like, man, I did not know they had the conditionings coach as the pastor over at the Axis. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really good time. Uh, this is a very necessary ministry uh, happening in our city, so thank you uh, for you all uh, providing this space. I'm going to move this over here just so that y'all can uh, see the main screen. Uh, but this morning, I am going just to be leading a conversation. I'm not preaching at you. Uh, I really more want to lead a conversation today, mainly because Holy Spirit that is active in me is also active in you. So there's a lot of things that we're going to be learning together today about this conversation. Uh, so today's conversation, I've just entitled Charitable Discourse, and I'm going to uh, break down what exactly that means, but specifically about charitable discourse, uh, what church unity is as alignment. So church unity as alignment. Uh, before I go any further, I'm just going to ask the Lord to continue uh, to be with us in this space, okay? Uh, Father, thank you. Thank you uh, for this church, this local church that has many parts that's in this space, Lord, thank you um, as I just pray uh, in alignment with saints that have gone before us. Lord, thank you that you have torn the dividing wall. You've torn the dividing wall by the power of Jesus. That you've torn all of that down so that we could be at peace and make peace with one another. So this morning, as it leads into the afternoon, Lord, would you literally like the time change our hearts Change our hearts, renew our minds. Give us, as the song was saying just a few moments ago, a sweet, sweet sound to our ears again so that we can give you a sweet, sweet sound with our lips by how we love our neighbor in the church. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. So uh, next slide for me. Before I go any further uh, the, into this conversation, I want to, uh, if you can go to the Bell family one, if, if that's there for me, Kirsten. Are you okay? 
as she's getting that slide. Before I go any further, I want to be sure that I establish trust uh, with you all. I want to establish trust uh, as we have this conversation because there is... Um, Something that when pastors just come into this space and they just tell you what they know, right? Uh, I don't want to step into that. I would rather uh, you all get to humanize me uh, in this conversation. Uh, so as, as she's getting that photo, I'll share a little bit. It's a photo of my family, uh, uh, my, myself, uh, my wife, Catherine, uh, and uh, my son, Elijah. So Catherine, uh, she is awesome. Uh, she is super intelligent. Uh, she is a leader and innovator uh, in our city. Uh, she is the director of consultation and practice uh, in a early childhood uh, mental health uh, institution. She's doing amazing work uh, helping kiddos uh, from zero to six increase in mental health. Uh, so she is leading the way in that. She is a big fan uh, of a show called Sweet Magnolias, which a third season has been renewed uh, for, I think it comes out this evening. Uh, I'm a big fan, actually. Uh, so that's uh, 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 some fun things about her. My son, Elijah, just turned one years old. Uh, so he is, man, he is up, up into all the wrong things. Uh, he is making a toy out of everything, and he is, he is having fun with it. Uh, but specifically right now, he is currently in what my wife calls a developmental leap. Uh, so that has been very fun uh, that he is in, in the developmental leap number eight, which is considered the fussy phase. Uh, so uh, that's something that I've learned that there is an actual psychological term for that. Uh, it's the fussy phase. Oh, here we go. Um, no, yeah, so uh, they are just so fun um, to, to walk life with. He is literally the model of the family. Uh, we've had multiple people saying, like, why don't, why don't we just uh, let him be a model for Gerber? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> um, uh, but he is the most beautiful uh, Filipino white baby that I know of. Uh, and uh, if you know one other, don't tell me because you're not gonna tell me otherwise. Um, but that's my family. Uh, a little bit about me, as Pastor Aaron said, I'm the community life pastor over with CIL Church. And I know that's a really broad title, so let me break it down for you. Uh, it's small groups, men's ministry, outreach, missions. Um, so it's uh, a lot that I'm getting to do there, but you're probably wondering how on earth within those four uh, categories does that happen in one position? And it's the, it's the story that I hope we keep telling ourselves, and that's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Uh, so that, that has been the, the reason why uh, I've been able to do what I'm doing, uh, that anytime you see me, uh, there is a great shadow of multiple people that are doing just great ministry uh, in our church. Uh, so I'm very thankful for that, uh, but a little bit apart me, I grew up uh, in a Filipino white family uh, I, with family being Filipino Roman Catholic. Anytime you walked into the home, uh, there was a Buddha statue to the left and a Virgin Mary statue to the right. Uh, just to get good luck, you would rub uh, Buddha's belly and then you would pray a little prayer to Virgin Mary, and that's kind of what I grew up with uh, on my Filipino uh, family. Now, on the white side of my family, uh, it was a mix of Southern Baptists and Pentecostals. Can I tell you how weird family reunion was? Uh, um, uh, the Southern Baptists were just like, hey, let's just go ahead and eat. And the Pentecostals were like, no, we got to pray and we got to have a service right here and right now at a family reunion. Uh, and that was just kind of what I grew up in, in this, this microcosm of, of, of different denominations, different uh, storylines. Uh, I ended up going to Trebek and Nazarene University uh, to where, um, I'll be honest, I thought it was the Southern Baptist Church and that was the only church. Uh, and it wasn't until I went to uh, Trebek that I learned about um, the church of Nazarene. I learned more about what holiness means, that holiness isn't 
not sinning, but holiness is actually being caught up in love. Uh, and that really changed my dynamic of, of looking at the church. Uh, so much so that even when uh, there was a massive uh, division on Trebekah's campus in 2016, uh, with multiple things happening in that year, um, there was two groups that were just fighting uh, in, in our campus. And uh, the pastor I served under, her name was uh, Shauna Gaines. Uh, she came up uh, with... Um, Oh gosh, she came up with Ephesians 2 and read that passage from Ephesians 2. Like Christ has torn down the dividing wall and given us peace in the name of Jesus. Is Jesus not enough? Um, and she shared that with all of us and people on as far right as the conservative Southern Baptists and as far left uh, as different progressive uh, denominations and traditions. They were like, yes, Jesus is enough. Um, so that was just a powerful story that that's what has cultivated me, uh, that this topic that I bring up to you today isn't just because I think the church should be talking about it. Not only that, I think the church must be talking about it, but it is a personal, passionate passion uh, of mine to be talking about church unity as alignment. Uh, so before we uh, uh, move into that conversation, I do want to give just a little bit of expectations uh, of what's going to happen in our time together. There's going to be a flow of me giving a little teaching on church unity, but I also believe that we need to be having table discussion about church unity. So there's going to be three opportunities of table discussion where Allow Holy Spirit to, to move in your heart and mind because you have something to share. Um, so don't be surprised that there will be three opportunities to talk. Um, I think uh, you don't wanna just hear my voice today. Uh, so uh, here's our first uh, table discussion uh, that I want us to have um, at our tables for the next five minutes. What stories come to mind when you think of the words church unity? What stories come to mind when you think of the words church unity. And then from that, how would you define church unity? How would you define church unity? So let's just take the next five minutes at our tables uh, to talk about those two questions. All right, guys, so I wanna bring all of us back. It's one of the things I will share this with a bunch of pastors and ministers. This I don't necessarily uh, share this uh, with our uh, systematic theology classes that we have uh, at CIL because I normally interrupt them. It's like, why? Why would you interrupt us? We're in the middle of it. What a graceful thing that interruption happens. That that conversations are happening and, and all of that. So I am glad that it could be worse and we could all just have crickets in here. Uh, but I am very glad that, that I'm interrupting great conversations because that means something's is happening. Uh, Dr. Dan Boone, he's actually the president over at uh, Trebekah University. He said that in the church, oftentimes we major on discourse and minor on charitability, uh, that we don't necessarily think about what it means to be charitable. Uh, and the word Trebekah actually comes from a, a different um, uh, group in Scotland, it actually translates binding together in love. Uh, and it's because there were these two houses uh, that minored on, well, the love of God. And they came to the editor and said, well, we don't actually major on our majors. Uh, so Trebekah came to be. So I do think you're absolutely right, Tanner, of, of what majoring on majors uh, of the love of God. That's, that's really good. Maybe one other person. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good takeaway. Those words, slow and quiet in many years. Um, that, that's living a quiet life, being slow, don't hurry, 
um, in many years, the pastor's called to the longevity of, of all the hardships that go on in the city. So I think that's really good, Pastor Cole. Uh, one of the, the big words, uh, this is a theological word, so heads up, um, uh, that it's, uh, when it comes to church unity, this word comes up as ecumenical. So ecumenical means the entire inhabited earth, that when it comes to the church, we are an entire inhabitation uh, of the earth, which that word ecumenical ought to be rooted in the healthiest uh, definition of the word evangelical, which is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, no political ties, no nothing like that, but we can be unified because of the good news of the gospel, uh, which I just said, good news of good news. <laughs> but what the ecumenical means, breaking it down, is not one part of the church is the whole body. Uh, so Southern Baptists, they aren't the whole church. Roman Catholics, they aren't the whole church. Uh, United Methodists, they aren't the whole church. Um, the black community, not the whole church. The white community, not the whole church. Not one part of the church is the whole body. Therefore, we're able to rejoice in the shared doctrine and practice that we have. We're able to rejoice uh, in the gospel of Jesus. We're able to rejoice when the poor is cared for. We're able to rejoice when someone gets saved down the street and they got baptized at their church. Or maybe they got saved in your church service, but they got baptized over there. We're able to rejoice because of this, this shared mutuality. Uh, of the gospel. Uh, this means that we allow difference to flourish. We allow the flourishing of God's good creation to be in the church, this diversity. But ultimately what ecumenical means is that we look for God's active work. Unity is all about being rooted in looking for God's active work work. Uh, something that I want to be our guide. Maybe you've heard this quote before. I'm going to reference it a lot in our conversation today. Um, but St. Augustine, who's one of my favorite saints, um, if, if I had a jersey, I would wear St. Augustine. Uh, uh, well, uh, Team Jesus first, um, but then I would wear St. Augustine. Um, uh, but anyway, he said this once, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Um, I love that quote. I love that quote because in all things, I want that to be the theme, in all things, be charitable, be charitable. And one of my favorite stories, so the question was, uh, share some stories of church unity. Um, one of my favorite stories actually comes from Acts 1, uh, Acts 1, uh, verses 12 through 14. If you have that in your Bible or in your phone, you can pull that up, but I also have it up on the screen. Uh, I'm not that sanctified today, so I'm just gonna read the Bible from the screen if that's okay. Um, so um, Acts 1, uh, verses 12 through 14 says this. Then they returned to Jerusalem, from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Can you sense all things charity just in this, just in this short story? One of the things that I really loved uh, from one of our pastors, uh, uh, Deborah here, she, she preached uh, in, in our church uh, a couple of, what was it? 
two months ago, um, uh, she mentioned how important it was that we remember Jesus's ascension, that he goes into uh, the heavens. But it's not a tap in, tap out of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but you see this very Trinitarian thing happening. But I want us to notice this. So Jesus ascends into heaven. And what is the very first thing that happens with the church? No, it's not start a new building. No, it's not we need to create a new campaign for something. No, it's not we need to start a children's ministry, and that's a good thing. No, that we don't need to start a youth ministry, although that's a good thing. The very first thing that happens is they were continually, say united, united, united in prayer. The very first new reality after Jesus ascends is church unity. The very first thing. Maybe that's important. That might be the very first thing that happens. And look in this story. Look at the different groups. I don't necessarily mean Gentiles because that comes later. But look at the different job descriptions that come up there. Look at the different Jewish tribes that you might sense by just reading off those names. Look at how it's not just one gender that is both man and women. Look at this new family that Jesus, this brown Jewish man, has established that the very first thing, that this is all things charity, this is what is essential, coming around Jesus. The very first thing that happens is this. So as we move into what does it look like to practice all things charity in the church? I think we have to do the necessary work of exposing why we haven't been, quote unquote, all things charity. Maybe it's because when it comes to the non-essentials, it's not liberty, but it's actually declare war. And I wanna be very intentional today to describe seven strategies that disunify the church. Seven strategies that disunify the church. I wanna expose these to us today. Because hopefully in this small group of people, you will no longer practice in these things, okay? This comes from, again, Dr. Dan Boone. He's the president over at Trevecca uh, Nazarene University. He wrote a book called A Charitable Discourse. Uh, so this comes from him. But here uh, are seven things that disunify us. So here's the first thing, labeling, which means assigning people to a category, labeling, which means assigning people to a category. Therefore, I'm gonna use these words and put them in a specific category and I'm not going to do life with these people because they are in that category. Because they are blank, I'm not gonna do life with them. So we assign them a certain category as if some way that we are better than them. So that is the first strategy to disunify is labeling. So conservative, liberal, reformed, liberationist, feminist, whatever words you wanna put, you end up labeling as a way to not do life with someone. So labeling. The second one is quite obvious, lies. It's obvious, yet we do it all the time. It's obvious, yet we do it all the time. Deceptive thoughts and sayings. We create new narratives, new narratives to demonize our brother or sister in Christ. We create lies. Another way to use this is manipulation. We participate in manipulative strategies 
And in turn, what that does is disunify us, disunifies. So number two, lies. Number three, I'm gonna take some time on this one. Number three is enemy-centered living. Enemy-centered living. So this is where we get the, the phrase us versus them. So this is a form of groupthink, and it's an irrational type of favoritism that happens in groupthink, that because we're us, that means the other side, they're bad. It's, it's because we're together in a group, the other group or the other groups must be bad. So we separate ourselves. And here's something I want to give us grace in. This is not anything new. Uh, this has been in the story of the people of God for quite some time. Um, that the Lord keeps on meeting us in grace upon grace and, um, but us versus them. Uh, another thing, we attach opinions to morality. What that means is based off of them saying a certain kind of thing, we must assume that morally they are either good, bad, or lukewarm um, because they said a certain opinion of, that, you, that you don't agree with. Uh, and because they said that opinion, they must be a bad person uh, and based off of what you believe. So if you do not agree with that person, well, they're bad because, well, they're, they're just wrong. Um, so we attach um, this, these uh, opinions to morality. And then lastly, maybe you've heard of these, uh, this word, echo chamber, echo chamber. So in enemy-centered living, there's these echo chambers that are created. And oftentimes we are the ones who create the chambers. Um, I immediately, I can't believe this is coming to mind, but I immediately thought of Chamber of Secrets. Uh, but anyway, and, and secrets keep you sick, by the way. Let me, uh, let me that was, that's a sermon for another time. Um, but anyway, echo chambers, which is a space where our worldview, this is so important, where our worldview is the and only worldview. In our cultural moment in the church right now, there are different conventions, there are different conferences, and it is so good that we unify with people that believe the same thing that we do, maybe even doctrinally. But what can happen, because I'm not trying to demonize those things, but what I'm trying to say is what can happen is that we can create an echo chamber where it's only this worldview and no other worldview. And that can be dangerous. That can be very dangerous. Uh, that's something that I have done in my life. Uh, growing up, as I said earlier, uh, it was the Southern Baptist Church and it was only the Southern Baptist Church. I put the Southern Baptist in front of everything. Um, I believe that uh, any other denomination was pretty much a cult uh, and I wanted nothing to do with anybody else. Uh, and after a while, when you realize that you're just an arm and you got no legs, you ain't going anywhere, so you just end up being bitter the entire time, that's what, that's what I was. I was just a bitter, religious young dude who knew it all. And it took me, literally, people that were further along in the ministry to say, um, hey, there are so much more beautiful things if you just allow someone else to teach you something. Uh, and that was what was so cool of eliminating the echo chamber and saying yes to the way of Jesus. Because when Jesus calls us into discipleship, he doesn't want us to stay in a chamber. He wants us to go on a path where there are multiple people on that path that we can learn from, have conversations with. So we, uh, echo chambers as part of enemy-centered living uh, is a way that we can disunify. Number four, grandstanding. This was a new term for me I've never really heard of before, but grandstanding, which means you gain attention by being divisive. This is a term that honestly, this is what happens on social media all the time. 
that we just make posts just to be divisive. Um, that's literally a word that could be attached to this is subtweet. Um, and now that we have a new uh, platform in Instagram, uh, whatever it's called, Vines, not Vines, Threads, uh, they'll come up with whatever and have a new version of that. But basically, you gain attention by just disagreeing with somebody. Um, so that's grandstanding. Uh, number five, we got that up here. Number five is half-truths. Half-truths which is finding a shred of factual evidence, although it may be true, just finding a shred of factual evidence and then creating a new narrative. So something can be just a little bit true and then you just create a completely new narrative. And it can be something that actually was bad uh, that has happened in maybe a, a brother or, or sister church but then you completely make a new narrative for that church just based off of a small amount of information that you got in an article. This could be very dangerous. Half-truths are very dangerous. You might as well just call them lies again. Number six, character association. Character association, which means calling people bad just because they're associated with something. I remember... A while back, I'm gonna give an example of, of myself. Um, I remember a while back when I was a, a chaplain over at Treveca, um, I, I was preaching and I quoted Ravi Zacharias. And years later, we found out what happened with Ravi Zacharias. And this was before anyone knew anything, right? Uh, but I ended up getting emails uh, from people uh, that, I don't know, uh, the the religious police that are just looking at old sermons, right? Uh, and uh, they're like, I can't believe you quoted Ravi Zacharias. You must not care about women. Like, how did I, I wouldn't have known that. Um, so that was just a, a brief, brief example of character association that, that we just call people bad or that we uh, ostracize, ostracize them? Thank you. Uh, we do that, thank you. Uh, grammar and words are a thing. Um, but anyway, uh, we call them bad because they're associated. Uh, that's something that, man, we can slip into really fast as pastors. We can slip into that really fast. And I can't tell you even, as Pastor Aaron has shared, I've been with CIL for two years. Um, I've, I've slipped into that the last two years, that I, I, I judge somebody's character just based off of, of them associating with some certain thing. Don't think you're too righteous that you don't do that. You can do that. And the last one is scripture quoting. Um, quoting scripture is not bad, but a toxic form of scripture quoting. Uh, so abusing or weaponizing the Bible. Um, this is where all our Greek scholars have talked about eisegesis, right? Uh, uh, so we eisegesis, uh, eisegete the text. We put into scripture rather than take out of scripture, right? So we abuse the Bible. We weaponize the Bible to be over someone. This is where we start to see a lot of spiritual abuse uh, happen. That is a, a, not a newer term, but a more frequent term uh, in, in Gen Z, uh, um, in, in millennials, that they experienced spiritual abuse. And oftentimes it's attached to scripture quoting or toxic scripture quoting. Uh, this is where, honestly, uh, when we look at the first commandment uh, in, the, in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, uh, to keep uh, God's name holy right, it's actually also speaking to this, that we don't just make God sign off on our opinion. That we just like, oh, you know what? Uh, God says it's true. Here's, here's the scripture verse right here. 
but I'm using eisegesis to, to make that happen. Um, so these are seven strategies uh, that cause us to disunify, that cause us to, the, to not want to be uh, with someone else in the church. So the thing that I want us to think about when it comes to these seven strategies, that it might not be just what you say, but it might be about how you say things. It might be about where you say things. It's not just about what you think, but how you think and where you think. So when it comes to these seven strategies that disunify, the thing that I want us to think about today is to consider and discern your context. To consider and discern your context. Because oftentimes when it comes to those seven things, when it comes to not being all things charity, maybe it's because we weren't really thinking about where we are, who we're with, and what God's doing. So our second table conversation that I want us to have, this is a, this is a deep one, and I want us to uh, go into it a little bit. What is the best context, sermon, group, class, meal sharing, etc., to talk about the following, race, gender, sexuality, technology, and politics? Those five are the biggest ones that your congregations are probably doing the seven to disunify. So I wanna create the space for us to talk about what is the best context to talk about these following things. So let's take about five minutes at our tables and then we'll gather back. I want us to, to come back together here. Um, and I know that there are a lot of good thoughts uh, that are coming from this place. Uh, and I feel like, again, we're in a theology class. But for the sake of time, uh, I do want us to move on because I do want to get to our last table discussion as well. Um, so hold on on everything that you shared here um, because, again, the conversations you're having are really good. Uh, John Wesley, he's one of my other favorite saints, right? Uh, he, he said in a, a sermon once, and I think this may be helpful as we move into seven uh, strategies that, that disunify and move into seven ways that we can align. And what does Jacob even mean by aligning or alignment? Uh, well, John Wesley's gonna help us. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, he said, every wise person will allow others the same liberty of thinking which he desires they should allow him and will no more insist on their embracing his opinion than he would have them insist on his embracing theirs. He hears with those who differ from him and only asks, is your heart right? Is your heart right? You see, for John Wesley, we were talking about essentials, right? For John Wesley, Christian essentials were more on what was practical than what was doctrinal. For John Wesley, it was more about love your neighbor. That was an essential. Care for the poor, that was an essential. Hospitality to the refugee, that was an essential. Breaking bread with your brother and sister, that was essential. For John when it came to Christian essentials, it was how are we practicing the way of Jesus? Is my heart right when I approach these kind of topics? Is my mind right when I approach these kind of topics? Thinking about how we're thinking, is our heart right? 
Is our heart right? I do have, as we move, uh, if you can, uh, the, the one that's ch- church unity is just a big paragraph. Church unity, as we move into seven ways to align, church unity is not synonymous with human agreement, nor is it the effect of human agreement. What I mean by that is that just because there is human agreement doesn't mean there's gonna be church unity. That if we just agree together, doesn't necessarily mean there's gonna be church unity. And what I also mean is that human agreement um, is uh, not the thing that creates church unity. What creates church unity is the gospel of Jesus. What creates unity is Jesus. We share that from the very beginning of Acts chapter one, that from Jesus, there is unity. Not from unity, then there is a gospel-centered life, or then there is the, uh, the people going out to the streets and stuff like that. No, it has to start with Jesus. Even when it comes to church unity, the church is not the main character. It's still Jesus. So church unity does not just happen because we agree together, but rather church, church uh, humanity happens because Jesus walked with us, lived with us, died for us, was raised again, was sent into heaven, and will one day come again. Amen? Amen. Good, good, good. We're still a, we're still a vocal church. Good, good, good. Um, so uh, as we move, uh, here's why I called it um, Church Unity as Alignment. I have a, a mentor friend of mine. Uh, his name is Fadi Alhagal. Uh, Fadi is a pastor over uh, with um, Brentwood Baptist. But during uh, Awaken uh, Nashville, there were about 500 plus churches that gathered together uh, for prayer and fasting in 2019. Uh, we worked uh, a lot together during that time. Uh, but when I came to CIL, uh, he was saying something very prophetic to me. He said, the season of collaboration is no more, but a season of alignment is here. So what on earth does that mean? Like when you have a spiritual father that just says something very Yoda-like and you're like, yeah, I completely agree. But what on earth are you talking about? Well, that's Fadi. Uh, he is just, he's just an amazing man of God. What he was saying was, hey, the time of us just doing church was I scratch your back and you scratch mine, that's over. But rather, I give you my back because Jesus put a cross on his that we align, we come together, not just in agreement, but in spirit, one spirit for the one goal. And that is that all nations, all tribes, all neighbors would come to this peaceful, not just reality, but relationship with Jesus. Like anytime you go to a chiropractor, which I go to frequently, um, they put you back into alignment, right? But sometimes it doesn't happen on the first session, there's a lot of soreness that happens, and you have to go multiple times to get back to alignment. So as we move into seven ways to align, let me tell you this, this is hard work. There's going to be a lot of soreness, but the soreness is good because it moves us into walking not with a stutter, but straight path. So that's why I look at church unity as aligning together, as alignment. So here are seven ways that we can align together. Here's the first one. We pray for neighboring churches. We pray for neighboring churches. 
I don't know if you're the lead pastor in your congregation or not. Uh, even if you're a youth pastor or whatever, I think it's helpful that you have a map uh, in your office and just mark down the churches that are around you. And you intentionally pray for neighboring churches that are around you. Because you know what? When someone gets saved over at the Methodist church or someone gets saved over the Roman Catholic church, that's a win, baby. Just win, baby, win, right? That's a, that's a, that's a win. Because we're one church. We're one local church. But we ask the Lord to bring renewal, not just in our congregation. One thing that I'm trying to practice in, in rhythms of silence uh, and prayer on Sunday mornings is I don't wanna just pray for CIL Sunday morning. I wanna pray for uh, First Baptist uh, Sunday morning. I wanna pray for Long Hollows Sunday morning. I wanna pray for renewal in my brother and sister's churches. But not only that, I share in grief. I don't make fun. I hope the people in this room will crucify making jokes of other churches. Honestly, it starts with you crucifying making jokes of other staff members in your staff. Even more than that, it probably needs to, you just need to stop making jokes because you aren't called to that. You were called to share in life together. So we share in grief. We share and joy. So pray, uh, pray for neighboring churches. Number two, partner with neighboring churches for special events. Uh, this was a special event uh, that happened uh, with us just last week. We had a uh, men's night. We called it Fellowship on the Green. You Nashvilleians know about Live on the Green. Uh, so we, uh, uh, we called it Fellowship on the Green. And we had eight different men's ministries come together, different denominations, different ethnicities. And we came together because men, uh, people like to eat, but men, really like to eat. Uh, so we, uh, we came together, eight different churches, uh, to just fellowship. And fellowship pours over into discipleship. So all you disciple guys, yeah, they're gonna get into a group, but sometimes you just need to fellowship first. You need to laugh. You need to have fun. Um, so we uh, partnered uh, together for a, this special event called Fellowship on the Green. And Fellowship on the Green was not CIL's event, but all our events. Um, we all called it Fellowship on the Green uh, to uh, different people. Um, so know this, you're not each other's rival. This is so duh, but we don't practice it as if it's true. We're not each other's rival, but partner to reach the city. We're not each other's rival, but partner to reach the city. Uh, it takes time to cultivate these kind of relationships with other churches. It's not just gonna happen over day. Uh, this, this specific event was over a span of six months. Who said slow and steady? I think it was Pastor Cole. Slow, steady, no hurry, right? So partner with neighboring churches for special events. Number three, number three, there's our, there's our uh, director of ministry impact, Corey. She's right over there. She's in this picture. Uh, number three, organize service opportunities with neighboring churches. Organize special uh, service opportunities with neighboring churches. Hear this, don't do your own thing when there's an opportunity to do it together. Don't do your own thing or try to reinvent the wheel when there's an opportunity to be served or to receive leadership from a different church. Uh, this was an event that we called Thanksgiving Blessing for quite some time, but we were willing to sacrifice and make adaptive things to our vision so that we can do it in church unity. Uh, Thanksgiving Blessing is not just a celebration uh, where we are, uh, again, celebrating Thanksgiving and also uh, pro providing a meal. What else happened during Thanksgiving? 
two groups coming together, right? Um, so it is a great opportunity uh, during that season to come together uh, with a different church. So maybe organize uh, service opportunities with neighboring churches. That could be through NextGen. That could be uh, through outreach. That could be uh, with your church. But at least consider that maybe you don't have to reinvent the wheel because there's already a wheel moving. Uh, number four, invite faith leaders of neighboring churches to speak. Invite faith leaders of neighboring churches to speak. Sharing the pulpit is power. And I know there are different doctrinal beliefs and that's, uh, that's a real thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be on a Sunday morning. It could be like what we're doing right now. It could be on a third Thursday. It could be uh, at, uh, a Wednesday night. But sharing the pulpit to show, not the next generation, but the now generation, to show them that what they're growing up into is a beautiful thing. Not just a broken house that's on fire that they're inheriting, but a beautiful thing that's happening right now. So invite faith leaders of neighboring churches. Number five, take a tour of a neighboring church. Take a tour of a neighboring church. This is Miss Velma Brinkley. Uh, she is a great friend uh, of ours. Uh, she is the church historian of a black church, First Baptist uh, Gallatin uh, on Winchester Street. And she was giving us just the black history of what was going on uh, in, in Gallatin. We did not know. Like, yes, we knew about segregation. We knew about slavery, but we did not know the weight of it. And you don't know what you don't know until you know. And when she was sharing the story things begin to change when you know the story. You lock eyes with the story. So we learn about the history, the people, and the ministry. I don't know how many times you, uh, that you all have come here to the Axis. Have you taken a tour of it? Have you asked the history? So anytime you go to a church, learn their history, learn about their people, learn about their ministry, because that might lead into the first thing, which is to pray for the neighboring church. So take a tour of a neighboring church. Number five, be willing to listen and receive. Be willing to listen and receive. Pastors are so good at leading, but they are so bad at receiving. We're the guys at the benediction. We were talking, me and Jordan were a little bit. We were the, we're the guys that give a blessing, right? At the end of the service. Go in grace and peace to love and serve the Lord. But we're really bad at receiving, especially when it comes to receiving someone else's leadership or maybe someone else's idea. So neighboring churches see that other churches are a blessing and we can share the load of leadership together. So be willing to listen rather than to speak. Be willing to ask questions rather than to tell your story. Maybe hear someone else's story, especially the neighboring church. Number six, be genuine friends with neighboring churches. Uh, Miss Felicia, uh, she's the lady in this picture. She wasn't able to be here today because she had a, a foot injury that happened yesterday. Uh, but Miss Felicia is grandmama to my son, Elijah. She's grandmama to my son, Elijah. And I've gotten to know her uh, and my friend Daniel here uh, for quite some time uh, in the last year or so. And guess what? We're genuine friends. We don't just scratch our, each other's back. Hey, we got this event. Can you show up at this event? But we, we, we break bread together. We text each other. We share jokes. Hey, did you hear about this? We actually put flesh onto our jobs and actually are human beings. So share meals, support each other, love on each other's families. And this isn't always flawless. 
Daniel and I, uh, actually a year ago, we had a very big disagreement, a very big disagreement. And uh, some people were like, I wonder if they're going to be friends after this. Well, healthy conflict leads into intimacy. And we have been intimate brothers ever since. Uh, We put integrity to the term brotherly affection again. Um, And he is a dear brother of mine. So be genuine. Sometimes ministry just means sharing a meal with with a pastor that's down the street. And this is a duh, too, but they, they're not your competition. They really are making much of Jesus with you, too. So maybe, maybe just share a meal. And then lastly, this is the biggest one. Affirm each other the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus will always be the source of church unity. It always will be. So um, all this is not based off of a works-based salvation, but rather all of this is a finished work reality. We live out of the finished work of Jesus and we're able to do unity together. And although it's hard, I think it's something we're called to. Um, So those are the seven ways to align. And I leave you with this. Uh, This is the last table discussion, but maybe this is more of a uh, discussion you have with yourself or maybe it's a discussion you have with the Lord. How can you, practice church unity in your context? How can you practice church unity in your context? How can you practice it with the next generation? How can you practice it with groups? How can you practice it in outreach? How can you practice it on Sunday mornings? How can you practice it with family? How can you practice it with yourself? How can you practice church unity in your context? That's all I got for you. 